KUBU 96.5 FM. You're now tuned into Verbal Radio. Today is Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023. And in the studio today, we have the illustrious, the brilliant, the change maker of Sacramento herself, District 4 City Council member Katie Valenzuela here in the studio today. We'll be interviewing her. But first, let's do our intro. This is Miracles by Mumbo Sauce. And we're back. Welcome to Verbal Radio on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. 
Uh, we are here with Katie Valenzuela. I've been waiting for this interview my whole life. It's like <laughs> it's like the color purple. All my life, I had to fight, and I got I finally made it here. Councilmember Valenzuela, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. The pleasure is definitely mine. As a resident of your district, um, I have been following your career with great interest, and I love how many strides you've made for us in District Four. Um, I also love the fact that. Uh, we finally now are going to be able to develop those buildings along Capitol Boulevard yes. to turn that into a beautiful residential area um, right at the center of the Capitol. So Sacramento is on the come up and on the rise. Uh, so before we get into all of the political stuff, I'd like to take this opportunity to get to know you better as a person. So where are you from? I'm originally from Oildale, which is an unincorporated town in Kern County, north of Bakersfield. I have no idea. What I know. Most is. people are like, I think I stopped there off the freeway once on my way to L.A. That's how <laughs> most people know where I'm from. But it's also surrounded by some of the largest oil fields in California, as you can imagine. So, so you grew up around the oil derricks? I and all did, that. yes. So would you would you consider yourself to be a country, a country person? <laughs> I was when I was at home. You know, my dad was really into that. And girls like to please their dads and do what they do. But I came up to school at Davis and was like, oh, okay, there's a whole nother scene here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good thing that we have uh, such a diversity i mean even in california just if you drive 200 miles the range of differences you'll find is mm -hmm. just amazing it's like a whole world in a little uh concentrated area so you went to school. What, what was it that, that led you into politics? It was really my dad, actually. He was a Vietnam veteran, and he got real involved in the community. He was helping vets with PTSD for most of his career, but really wanted the community to be good for us because we were his kids. So he volunteered in all sorts of spaces. And I remember I was 13 years old, actually, the first time he tapped me in. And they were trying to figure out how to help kids who were, we had really high dropout rates at some of the schools in our area. And they were sitting there trying to figure out how to help the kids. And my dad was like, well, why don't we bring some students into the room? <laughs> to him, that was just super obvious. So I started getting involved in stuff in junior high and just, you know, never really saw a different way to be. And so that, um, when did you come to Sacramento? I came to Davis first in 2004. That was undergrad. And then when I was in my grad program in 2009, I moved over here. I was living in a house in Davis with like five other people. And I was working the coffee shift in the morning and then going to class and not sleeping a lot. And I found this apartment in Midtown on 8th Street and was like, and second Saturday had just started. And it was like this whole new world. I was tree-lined streets and people were biking everywhere and there was music on the streets on Saturdays. And I'm like, this is this is my spot. I, I will tell you, uh, I got to agree with that. I mean, everyone who listens knows I'm from D.C. And mm -hmm. one of the things I love about living uh, downtown Midtown is um, like I'm right by R Street. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every other weekend there's like a block long, you know, the vendors come out. Um, there's always something going on at the parks. Mm -hmm. There's second Saturdays. There's concerts in the park. There's so many things happening that just like make living in the community so great where um, I personally feel like a great community is one you don't have to leave. Yeah. You, know, and you can get all of your needs within the community. Um, so yeah. to that point, is there any, uh, there's this rumor going around that there's a major, um, like a national level uh, grocery store going to mm. be coming to 16th and J. You know anything about that? Yeah, um, the mayor mentioned it yesterday during his state of downtown speech. So, um, you know, we're not allowed to talk about the who's and the what's, but it's been a deal that's been being worked on for a while that I've been engaged in as well. So really hopeful that we can make a really great announcement and that it'll also come maybe with some affordable housing announcements. That, so, I mean, that would be great. Yeah. You know, another grocery store in the downtown area, uh, more affordable housing, but more importantly, the, the a facility like that is going to create a lot of jobs. Members yeah. of the community. Well, it's the amenities, right? I mean, we want people to keep living downtown, like you say, and, you know, we don't have a ton of grocery stores when you go. I mean, 16th Street, you've got grocery outlet, you know, you've got a couple of Safeways, but, you know, we need more of those options. You know, another thing that's come up is we need an elementary school, you know, in downtown. There's just those baseline stuff that now that we're building more housing down there, which I'm super stoked about, we need to start thinking about what does it take to live in, in that community 24-7. That, that, see, that, I like that. That's very important. And I love the way you seem to have a bird's eye view of what's going on in your district, which is great and reassuring for me living in your district. <laughs> um, so let's talk about some of the things that you've accomplished um, since you were elected to the city council. Um, what would be your top three? 
Oh, gosh, that's hard to pick. We've done a lot of stuff. Um, you know, one of my favorite things we've done is uh, get Latino Center for Arts and Culture into the Wind Park building. That all just got solidified. Uh, it's been a year in the making where we got state money. We had to work through MOUs, but we're going to have this cultural icon in the middle of this park in Midtown, which I'm super stoked about and will live on long past when we're in office, which makes me really, really happy. Um, gosh, I'm trying to narrow down here in my head. I know when we first came in, we they were starting the WX construction project and we had the estimated 300 encampments underneath that freeway. So we started the first city run safe camping area to give people a place to go. And it's been a super bumpy ride, but honestly, like Miller Park, before we had to shut it down for the storms, we were at a 40% positive exit rate, which is like unheard of. Like for chronically unhoused people, the success rate is like closer to 10%. Um, so we were able to quadruple the rate of success for people just by meeting them where they were at, which was, and hundreds of people have moved through that site and gotten into housing or services like that. I had no idea that that would happen. We were just trying to solve a problem in the moment, but my goodness, that's been really, really cool. Um, Gosh, and I'm trying to narrow down the other thing, but, um, you know, we've been also working on uh, so many things. <laughs> um, but I will say, I think that, you know, we recently worked on an initiative to, to help prevent gun violence. And um, one of the things that it's not a newsworthy story, but something that we realized uh, a few weeks ago was that it had been a few months since our last major gun incident downtown. And that coincides almost directly with when we rolled out a couple million dollars to community-based organizations like Brother to Brother and Voice of the Youth so that they could start going out and doing that intervention work. And you know, it's obviously too early to say like, yay, we did it. But that's really encouraging to me that we're showing that it does work to invest in community groups, to invest in those individuals so that they don't get to the point where they're pulling guns on K Street. That, facts. That, I, I, I try to constantly tell people um, on social media that that we do have a lot of societal issues. Mm -hmm. You know, there's gun violence, there's homelessness, um, economic issues. And what tends to happen is people focus on the individuals instead of the machine that created them. Mm. And, and so, you know, it's like people uh, uh, tend to have a very negative opinion of like homelessness, um, specifically in Sacramento. Some people have a very negative opinion of the homeless themselves um, and are, are seeking to criminalize even homelessness as opposed to addressing the issues that caused the homelessness in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, because the homeless, you know, there's a very, a lot of people try to make it an us and them thing mm -hmm. where it's like, there's us who are housed and them who are homeless and they're the blight. When in reality, there is no us and them. We're all members of the same community. Mm -hmm. uh, we all live in the same places. We all face the same issues. Those windstorms that came past a couple of weeks ago mm -hmm. affected all of us, mm -hmm. you know, without exception. So I do love to hear that there are things in the work to give people uh, hope, to give people outlook. It's not, a, it's not a victory yet, but forward progress. Forward is the rallying cry. Moving forward, what would you like to accomplish by the end of your term? You know, right now we are really pivoting into affordable housing. Um, that is one of the main reasons why I ran. You know, I'm still the only renter on the council. Um, you know, when I was running, when I decided to run at the end of 2018, we had no tenant protections. We had no, like people, more and more people were becoming unhoused and it just felt like, all right, this is the moment. If we're going to try to do something, we got to jump in now. Um, and so we're getting ready to really pivot into that because I think, you know, in the end there are, so many people on our streets and in our shelters who have income, who can't find a place to go. And there are so many people who are housed right now that are so close to losing that housing. Thousands of people who were waiting on emergency rent assistance, for example, during the pandemic that never got it. Um, so if we can, I know it's not going to help everybody. I um, mean, you know, there are people who are just in crisis and need that level of support. But gosh, if we could get those seniors and those folks with disabilities and those wage workers out of that system and into a stable place to live that is the we talk about upstream when you talk about like all of us together you know 
when you're an organizer, the analogy is always like, oh, you know, you're picking up trash out of the river and you're sitting there using all those resources to pick trash up out of the river. You got to send somebody up the river, though, to figure out where the trash is coming from. And if you can stop the trash from getting in the river, and I'm not, you know, so the idea of moving upstream is what we're talking about, right? You know, you see gun violence. Where is that coming from? How do you invest to try to stop that from happening? And the same thing with homelessness. It's not going to eliminate homelessness, but what we're seeing more and more is that people just can't afford places to live in this town. And, and that's going to continue to affect all of us that affects the businesses that affects the neighbors because when you have that many people in our community that are that close to the edge or over the edge none of us are going to be okay absolutely right one of the things that um stands that has always stood out to me about sacramento is how we have such a large homeless population mm. and we equally have so many vacant properties yeah um for example going down k street the majority of of the commercial properties on k street between uh, say, say, 8th and 11th, the majority of those buildings sit vacant and, mm-hmm. and are only uh, entering worse states of disrepair. Um, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, why don't we use those properties to provide housing? Yeah. Um, and so Governor Newsom actually um, made a step towards that direction in the with the with the with the EDD building mm-hmm. on Capitol Boulevard, uh, those three buildings down there, six hundred one, six hundred, and um, I don't recall the address off the top of my head for the other one, but those buildings are going to be converted to housing um, with twenty percent right allowed mm-hmm. to affordable housing, um, and that's expected to be completed by twenty six. Yep. Yeah. Yes. So by twenty twenty six, we're going to have uh, hundreds of people living right there at the EDD building on Capitol Boulevard. Um, which which could be a bit of a traffic issue because <laughs> not traffic a little Well, bit. it's very much like, you know, you heard me say this at the press conference that, um, you know, we used to have a ton of housing on Capitol Mall. So I think it makes a ton of sense because when you live in a place like that, it's literally the light rail train goes under those two buildings. Like you don't need a car as much. You know, the state's been investing in child care nearby. You've got all these job opportunities. Hopefully the folks who move into those buildings are the folks that can, you know, be able to walk to work at the Capitol. Capital. You know, when I was out canvassing in my campaign, I kept finding these capital fellows that were like four or five in a one bedroom apartment. You know, you'd see them on the list. You know, you'd have your voter list and be like, there's six people living here. And they're like, yes. And I'm like, oh, OK, <laughs> this isn't good. But, you know, there's a ton of that workforce down there. But to your point about vacancy, though, in general, like, yeah, the commercial buildings are of interest. But, you know, we went online after seeing a Business Journal article and found that there's 5,500 vacant apartments in Sacramento County. And not all of those are one bedroom. Some of those are two, three bedrooms. So we're also very interested in talking about fair housing law. And, you know, we have 1,400 people, we think, that are on the streets that have vouchers who can't find a place to go. And so when you have that many people that have a means of paying for housing and that many vacant units and people aren't able to find housing, that raises a lot of questions for us because those vouchers do cover. Everybody says, oh, they're bad. They've amended the program. They're zip code based. So like in our part of Midtown, you can get 2200 bucks for a two-bedroom apartment, which is pretty dang good for a voucher to cover. And so if they're not able to find units, then something's wrong when you have 5,500 units. That's enough to potentially house most of the people that are on the street who have income if we can get them into them. So on that topic, um, it's interesting that, 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 that about that because, one, I went through that situation myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first came, <laughs> so when I first came to Sacramento, I lived in um, – like the pocket metal, the pocket, uh, oh, Greenhaven, Greenhaven area. Yeah. And I didn't like it because mm. it was so quiet <laughs> and it was like a lot of senior citizens and I really felt out of place. I'm like, you know, and I'm like, I'm in California. I want to live and music and all of that. So I moved, I was like, Oh, well let me move more where there's more, it's more lively. So I moved to Del Paso Heights. Um, yeah. And then, uh, so when I was like, okay, I'm ready to move from Del Paso Heights. Um, I was looking for rentals. And money was not the problem. Like, I'm like, hey, I'll pay, prepay, whatever. And I was having so much trouble finding a rental in Sacramento that I was ready to go back home to D.C. Mm. and just say, forget it. Um, and then I found the one that I still live in now, and I'm probably never going to move because that was just so clutch coming through. <laughs> but one of the things I did notice, um, across the street from where I live now is a house that um, there was a tenant there for like two years when I first moved there. And they were paying sixteen hundred a month for this uh, two one house, and then when they moved out, um, no upgrades were done or anything, and it went to nineteen. 
Mm. And then somebody rented that for like eight months. And when they moved out, it went to 23. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they are, they're having trouble. It's been sitting vacant for, for a couple of months now. Mm. Um, and the thing is that when we look at, when we look at the, the income levels of the average worker in Sacramento, um, and I, I don't like calling anybody unskilled because no matter what you're doing, it takes some form of skill. Even if it's holding a pen, yeah. uh, you weren't able to do that when you were born. You had to learn how to do that. So in the workforce, though, um, the incomes tend to not match the ever-increasing rents in mm-hmm. the area. Um, and that that is putting a lot of people in the streets. And a lot of people say that the homeless issue in Sacramento is just because you know, there's drug addiction and there's mental health crisis. And those are valid issues and valid causes of homelessness. But there are a lot of people who are unhoused through no bad actions on their part. They, they still work. They have money saved yeah. up. They have a decent credit score, but they just simply can't afford. Yeah. For example, if that, that place across the street from me, 2300 a month, that's $4,600 to walk through the door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even if you make that money where you could pay the 2300 a month, you need to make three times that. Yeah. And if you do make three times that, why would you want to live there? <laughs> you know, so. no, it's real the barriers i always tell people i'm like look the folks you see that are out and that are in crisis really aren't the majority of the folks on the street you know there are a lot of folks that you'll see if you're real early in the morning downtown and you're driving around you'll see them packing up their tents putting things together like they're very under the radar and they were i remember when we were running that warming center at the galleria in 2021 after those big storms killed some folks and we got that open so folks had a place to go there were people walking walking into that Galleria that I had seen regularly in downtown that I did not realize were unhoused. Um, and they and they were, and they were coming in for, for services because they were unhoused. So I think we, um, we missed the whole story. And then there's also those folks who do in that situation who eventually develop mental illness and substance abuse. And those are the folks that really, that also break your heart because, you know, you get it, right? You can't sleep at night. You're being victimized. You're just the trauma and the day-to-day of survival. We're losing so many people that ended and up on the street just for a bad situation, and didn't do anything wrong. It. Yeah, that's the other other part of the mental stress. I mean, I was homeless before. Mm. It's not nobody grows up expecting to one day be homeless. Yeah, and and to find themselves in a situation where where you know they're they're fending for themselves in in some of the rough circumstances, and it it does take a psychological toll. And then a lot of people say, well, well, you know, if you can afford to buy a bottle of alcohol, if you can afford to buy a bag of weed, and you can (laughs) get yourself off the street, a ten dollar bottle one. As an East Coaster, alcohol is insanely cheap in Sacramento. I mean, <laughs> and like wine, oh my gosh, like it's three times cheaper here than it is back on the East Coast. And so, you know, if a person is mentally stressed out because they don't have a place to stay and they don't have people who can take them in, which is mm-hmm. an emotional and psychological blow in itself, I mean, there is a thing called escapism. And yeah. so some people might start to, and addictions do develop. Absolutely. Um, so the thing is, like you said, we got to go up the river yep. to the source and find out where this, where where these things are coming from. Exactly. So we we've definitely identified. You've you've spoken about like brother to brother, um, which I'm familiar with that organization. They do a tremendous amount of work mm-hmm. um, in the community. And so and then schools, you know, we got Measure L passed, mm-hmm. right? So that's going to be um, creating more opportunities for the youth of Sacramento to be engaged in something positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Myself, I'm working with the Urban League, starting a program called Wide Open Doors. Um, oh, this is—I guess this is my first public announcement. Um, <laughs> so I'm starting a program, um, hopefully in in conjunction with the Greater Sacramento Urban League, as well as the I Am Sacramento I Am Sac Foundation. Um, and yes, I definitely cribbed the name from Wide Open Walls. Um, love David Sullivan. So you know, Wide Open Walls, Wide Open Doors. We wanted to get what I did is um, I met these kids. There's a school in Del Paso Heights called uh, More Life Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a waiting list of like 3,000 students. There's 80 students in there now, um, K-12. Now, what all of those students have in common is they're all homeless. Um, and and several of them actually stay with some of the faculty members of the of the school. Um, and I saw that and it just broke my heart because like I can personally relate to not only the situation they're in, but I've already gone down the road that they're about to walk down. And I was thinking to myself, I said, I want to find a way to help these kids. I really want to help them Um, and not just give them a temporary help like a job. But I want to give them something that will that if they say I want to give them a path 
that if they stay on it, will allow them to control their future. Um, and so I came up with the idea for wide open doors. So here's what wide open doors is. Um, under the ideal scenario, we will um, take groups of, of kids and, and it'll start with one school with the More Life Academy. But after the first year, we intend to expand it district-wide throughout Sacramento. Um, and so Wide Open Doors is a program that will bring in youth of Sacramento. Um, we will train them on video, photography, and audio production. Uh, and then we are going to make content with them and air it on television, on radio, on the internet, um, and help them build a portfolio. Because one of the things that, that I feel will give them an up in life or a helping path is in lieu of academic experience, if they if they are unable to go to college for whatever reason and get the degree in media production, they, in 12 months from starting our program, will be able to go to a television station and say, here's 52 hours of my TV shows that I've recorded, taped, and done. Mm-hmm. I've done the job. You know, I've got hands-on experience. Um, and hopefully that will, that will provide opportunities for them um, and then, you know, for the youth of Sacramento as well. So targeting youth is is one of those things, and mm-hmm. even even I'm trying to get in on that boat. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we're going to talk about the rest. We got to take a quick commercial break in just a few moments. But um, so making changes in Sacramento is um, what our collective mission and collective cause is. Um, and so one of the reasons you tend to see. Um, a lot of people in Sacramento are in the same circles. Like you'll see Councilmember Venezuela, and you'll also see Councilmember Vang and Trustee Rhodes and Verbal, because we are all united in our cause, which is the betterment of this city and the betterment of this community. Um, not even for us, but for those who will come after us. If anything we can do can make a better future for somebody else, let's go for it. So Sacramento, we are asking you guys to do the same thing. It takes nothing. You know, my favorite phrase, my favorite quote is, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. It takes nothing for you to go out and make a difference in the life of your community, to make a difference in your community. Uh, we'll be back after this commercial break. Stay tuned to Verbal Radio and KUBU 96.5 FM and Spotify. Welcome back to Verbal Radio on KUBU 96.5 FM and on Spotify. We are here today with Katie Valenzuela, our favorite council member of the Sacramento City Council. Uh, we were just talking about upstream, uh, you know, stopping the uh, or catching the problems before they transition into a full societal crisis. Um, and so, you know, making sure we have positive outlets for, for the youth of Sacramento um, is a huge deal. Uh, and we also uh, discussed some other topics. Now, uh, council member Valenzuela, what um, other things do you feel would be important in, um, in, in catching ahead of time or, or being proactive about to prevent uh, mass homelessness and, and things like that? Yeah, I think what you were talking about with the young people in the schools, that's why I have such a hard time picking things that I love that we've done because we got a couple million dollars out of a really horrible shooting that um, killed a little girl in CV Circle. You might remember that. She was seven years old. Her name was Isabel. And we got a couple million dollars to go into that neighborhood and just wrap them around. They've got broadband now and after-school programs and toy drives we're doing just to show, hey, when you invest in these kids, you can interrupt that cycle um, just like you were talking about um, um, with your school wide open doors idea. Um, but I think for me, the the biggest upstream we can do really comes down to, to housing and to jobs. You know, it's and it's basic. These are the basic human needs, right? Shelter is one of those basic, you know, if you don't have shelter, how are you going to do anything else? Um, and so I think, you know, going back to some of these ideas that used to work pretty well in our region, you know, like they tell me that before we got rid of, we used to have a requirement that developers built a certain number of their units to be accessible to different income and that got we got rid of that um, about, I think, eight years ago now. And and when that happened, all of a sudden, affordable housing production just stopped. You know, it's like they, they you see the trend, the cause and effect here of, you know, when the homelessness crisis got real bad and when we stopped building and protecting affordable units. You know, this is a natural human thing. People need that type of housing. And when we don't have it, 
this is this is what happens. The the heartbreakers are the encampments of of seniors, and people always like to say like, oh, that's not really. And I'm like, no, it is. There are entire encampments of people that are over the age of 55, and they all have income. You know, this isn't about not having any money, but they don't have enough, like you said, to get in the door, which is unacceptable. But the other side of addressing that is also making sure people make more money. You know, having the opportunity to make wages that actually support. So like in the central city, we get an interesting rap because we have this super luxury housing coming in, you know, $3,000 a month for studio apartments and everybody just thinks we're rolling, <laughs> right? But I'm like, no, the average income in Midtown specifically, I saw on the census, they do the income maps for the central city. It was less than $35,000 a year. You know, you still got a lot of folks living in the central city that are shift workers, that are retired, that are students that are trying to make ends meet. So how do you help them make more money is you raise that floor of not just minimum wage, but living wage, right? So we've got a couple things in the hopper. Um, we just introduced the healthcare minimum wage ordinance that's modeled after the state bill that Senator DeRazo is doing. So SEIU, UHW is um, passing local ordinances to try to build momentum to get it statewide, $25 an hour. Now that's still not enough, you know, for most people, but it's kind of funny that we're fighting over that. But these are the janitors and the laundry workers and the folks who keep our health systems running who are telling me that they're arguing over dime an hour raises in their contract negotiations. And I'm like, that is not okay. <laughs> you need to be able to make enough money to live. And you know, another topic that's been coming up, if you watch council meetings, you've heard carpenters have been coming to our meetings to talk about housing development. You know, it's one thing to build housing, but a lot of those projects aren't paying living wages. You know, they're not giving health care. You know, they're not taking care of their workers. So we've been in talks to them about how we can try to figure out how to raise that bar as well, still build more housing, but do it in a way where the jobs we're creating from that are also creating living wage jobs. So it's the win-win-win, you know, that we're looking for. I used to work for a place a long time ago um i think they're all out of business now but it's called dean and deluca mm. um you ever see this movie called the devil wears prada oh yeah they talked about dean and deluca <laughs> he was like oh i just came from dean and deluca it's like five dollars for a strawberry there i can attest that that's true <laughs> um we used to sell you know epicurean very gourmet items i mean i was in a charcuterie we had like ten thousand dollar ounce truffles like thirty thousand dollar caviar wow. stuff like that and the the irony of all of it is all of us who worked there Nobody made more than $10 an hour. None of us could afford to shop in a place we worked at. Wow. Um, and then that that's kind of a thing. And that that causes uh, a lot of inequities. Um, and then if you if you have if you have these developments going on and the people building them can't afford to 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 live there and the people next door can't afford to live there and the people who work in the community can't afford to live there, then you're gonna have a situation where you have people who are making their money outside of the community, moving into the community and not contributing back to the community, which increases the negative situation for everybody. Um, wow, that was well said, if I do say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right, so now that we've gotten to um, the fun part of our interview, uh, <laughs> so you've got some dogs, right? I do. What kind of dogs have you got? I'm a proud dog mom to two rescues, Shevin and, oh God, Shevin. That's so funny I just said that. So they go to daycare because I'm one of those dog moms. And their names are Chevy and Kevin, and they like to call them Shevin. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a that was a tired Wednesday uh, slip of the tongue. But Chevy and Kevin, Chevy I think is like a schnauzer, Dotson mix with rescues you never really know. Mm -hmm. He's a cool dog. He's nine. And Kevin we just adopted last year. He's a chihuahua, a little black chihuahua. So with the underbite. Um, oh, yeah. I love the underbite. Love the the underbites. <laughs> and the cockiness that comes with yeah. that underbite. Like, yeah. And the amount of money is funny. My mom makes so much fun of me for doggy daycare. I mean, on the other hand, I'm like, I don't know how else you do this when you work all day. <laughs> like yesterday, I worked a 13 hour day. How do you do that if you don't have people take it's care of your dog? It's the responsible thing to do. It's the responsible thing to do. But yeah, the amount of money I spend on them. We have this great little doggy daycare in the neighborhood that they go to. And then, you know, we go to the bark park and I'm like, oh, look, they got that biscuit place across the street with dog sweaters and stuff it's just it's sick but do you spoil your dog i do you seem that's like why you i say them. when they're my fur children they are my fur children but like you dress them up for the holidays oh yeah no totally <laughs> kevin really doesn't like it i found but uh chevy digs it he likes wearing stuff oh man i can see your little chihuahua yeah. in, a, in, a, in a christmas outfit oh gosh he had a little bandana because i couldn't get him to keep the sweater on but it's like this is part of it too where i'm like the fun stuff of when you have an income that you can spend on stuff in the community like it's mm -hmm. not just like 
like, oh, I'm sitting here doing crazy stuff for my dogs. I'm doing it in a way that, you know, I try but to give back. That's, all, that's why I justified anyways. I'm like, look at all these local businesses. It's also responsible, though. I mean, one of the things, if you go on a Sacramento subreddit, you'll hear one of the big complaints we have in Midtown is um, there. we have some neighbors in Midtown who, who I'm not going to name because I don't know them. If I knew them, I would name them. But um, we got, you know, one of the big complaints you'll hear is like a lot of people will leave their dogs in the yard unattended all day. Oh, yeah. And they'll bark and they'll whine. And it's just such a sad thing. So it's a responsible thing that you take them. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's a responsible thing that you take them to doggy daycare. I, I can't, I am trying with all my heart not to laugh because it's just, it's just such a. <laughs> my, the saying in my family is that my dogs live a better life than most people, um, which, <laughs> which is fine. Like, this is my one big extravagance that I allow myself. And I'm like, you know what? That's fine. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. I, I, I uh, recently lost my dog, but I, mm. I, we were very fond. I was very fond of her. Um, and I did the same thing. I would dress her up like she, she, you know, had Christmas outfit, had a Halloween outfit. Oh, yeah. and like, oh God, I pampered her. Like, it was all bad. the sweaters. They get their hair cut, and I'm like, oh, they're cold. They need sweaters. Yes. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm telling <laughs> you, the works, the works. Yeah, and I had a woman. I remember when I was campaigning the first time, she found out I had dogs, and she was like, they should be the only thing on your literature. Like, people <laughs> love dogs in this town. There's actually this cool company in Curtis Park I found because they came to council to testify that has these shirts they make that's like Sacramento's made for dog people, you know? And I'm like, we are a dog city. No offense to the cat people. But yeah, I was kind of joking with my campaign team about that for next year. I'm like, why don't we just stick my dogs on all my lit? Like, I'm I think we'd win a lot of votes that way. Dogs, They're pretty cute. Dogs are adorable. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Sacramento is definitely a dog town. Definitely. Um, I, I've, I've, there's so many dog parks uh, here in Sacramento. And, you know, one of the things I really love about Sacramento um, is such a walkable city. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you could, like, I feel like I could walk from here to, 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 to Meadowview without changing elevation. Mm. Like, it's just a flat road all the way there, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's so much greenery. And then the one thing that always stands out to me, I know you all grew up with it here in California, you you angels who grew up here in heaven. <laughs> but for those of us who, who came here, um, the abundance of, of life in, in Sacramento, mm. like walking down the street and seeing, like, a full orange tree and a full lemon tree, like, my brain explodes every single time. Mm. Like, other people are like, what? So what's the big deal is oranges. Like, for me... Man, you know how much we pay for those back home? Yeah. <laughs> you got a whole tree. Oh, yeah. When um, I lived in Oak Park briefly, there was an abandoned house next door to me, and it had all sorts of fruit trees in the back, and it was so funny. So I'm like, there's such a misnomer about food deserts that people there don't eat good food, because they do. And it's like you'd go out in the morning and see someone with a ladder, like, over the fence, like, climbing to get the persimmons, and they'd be like, oh, hey. And I'm like, it's fine. It's not my house, you know? Like, like go to town. But, man, you'd go. I remember driving around El Paso Heights. I used to do a garden program. That's how I started in organizing you're building gardens in North and South Sac to get people talking about food. And gosh, you it is just such a misnomer that like the gardens are in the nice neighborhoods because like you pull over and I'd be trying to find a house pre-map quest and I'd be looking at my thing and I'd look over a fence and see corn stalks or see this and you're like, all right, <laughs> I'm in you the know, right place. I think you're the right person for me to ask. Yeah. And, 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 and I hope this isn't a stupid question, but I'm not from here. So I've always wondered this because like if I'm walking down the street and like say someone has like fruit trees hmm. that are like, on their property, but like, you know, by the sidewalk. Oh. And I want fruit from said tree. What's the appropriate way to go? Like, the, is it like, is it, it's like, like if I knocked on somebody's door, mm-hmm. for example, and said, hey, I was passing by, I was wondering if I could grab a couple of fruits from your tree. Would that be like a completely outrageous thing? From no, their point that's of view? actually the courteous thing to do. Okay. Um, so you hear, especially in the urban agriculture space, people complain a lot about folks who come by and just grab a peach off the tree or something, and they're like, "I was saving that peach." You know? <laughs> but um, yeah, I've never met most of the time. I, I know it's so funny. It's like I've been watching that peach. I've been waiting for that I peach, and then someone comes and takes that one. But um, it's real. <laughs> but no, people do talk about like, yeah, they come up, they knock on the door. Like when again, when I was in Oak Park, people will say that all. All the time someone just walks up to the door and knocks and is like hey can i take some lemons or hey can i take some and most of the time they're cool with it but people appreciate the asking because sometimes they're they got plans for those lemons yeah you don't <laughs> want to just be walking you know i'm a six foot three if you can't see him i'm a very big person six foot three <laughs> with like four inches of hair on top of that and so i i think people would be surprised if they just saw me rummaging around in their yard yeah. <laughs> or climbing up their tree now i do have one advantage you know the easy way for me to get fruit from trees because mm. i'm so big I just shake the trunk of the tree. Oh, yeah. And then whatever falls down, I pick That's up. how they harvest in um, the valley, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were telling me a story earlier. Um about some snakes. And I was like, I gotta get I gotta get they gotta get you to tell the story to the audience. So 
Uh, tell us about the snakes. Oh, gosh. You know, I always joke that there's never a dull day as a city council member. I had no idea. And this was like, and got to be my first three or four months of office. I had not been in office for long, and it had been a week. It was one of those weeks where it was like big council meeting, lots of stuff on the agenda. And it's like Friday, 430. I'm on my last call with city staff. And they're like, oh, okay, you know, before you go, we've got one more thing for you. And I'm like, sure, I'm done after this. Like, tell me what you need to tell me. And they're like, you know that power station? They're building that substation. Smud's doing near Grant Park and I live like a couple blocks away from Grant Park and I'm like yeah I know it I'm right there they said yeah you know they didn't do something that they should have done and they might have disturbed a den of snakes and I like froze on the screen (laughs) and this is a team's meeting right it was a virtual meeting and I'm like did you just say snakes? He's like, yeah. So you get right into the business, right? Of like, you know, we've doing this and we're doing that, and it just could be should be fine, but it's possible we're gonna have to issue a warning to the neighborhood. So we just wanted to make sure you were aware. And at that point, I just start laughing. I'm like, <laughs> you just said snakes. Like, like I just like of all the things you all throw at me in these first few months of office. Like I was not. So I'm just laughing, and they're looking at me on this call. Like I must be like it was a mixture of amusement and like, is she okay? Looks, and I'm like. I'm fine. Just keep me posted. So then I call my chief of staff to tell her this funny story. And she's like, not finding this funny at all. She's like, all business. Like, what kind of snakes? How many snakes? <laughs> like, what are they? And I'm like, girl, I didn't even ask. Like, like, I literally was just like, okay, I'm done. This is the end of the week. Let's go home. <laughs> like, that's it. It's like a plot of a movie. It is. I like, mean, it's like a Seinfeld episode. Like, you say snakes? <laughs> like, yes. Like, you get, a, you get a letter on your door. No, and he was so like... calm about it, too. It's just very business as usual. So this is what we're doing. And I'm like, like, By the di- way, we were we were digging for something, and uh, turns out we pissed off a whole nest of snakes. Yeah, we're pretty angry. So y'all just be on the watch out. Yeah, for that. we're gonna let you know if, you, if they move into the neighborhood. And I'm like, what? So I'm like, God, I don't. Thankfully, they didn't need to issue the warning, and they got it under control. But I'm like, are you serious right now? That is hilarious. Oh man. So, well, shout out to everybody who had to overcome that snake challenge. Yeah. So, I'll tell you right now, that's enough for me to move. <laughs> I did not come to California no. to be near snakes. No. Now, I tell you, I saw you. Um, I saw you recently at the uh, Poetry Day celebration, mm-hmm. um, and I actually do see you at a lot of arts events. You seem to be a patron of the arts, mm-hmm. and uh, I understand you're a saxophone player. I am. I played alto sax, right? I did. I did. All through middle school, high school, and even into college at Davis. I was in the band at Davis. You know, I I wish I would have... uh been prepared for this because I'd have definitely either found a saxophone or brought one or asked <laughs> oh, you to bring one. It has been so many years. I still have my saxophone. It's like but... riding a bike, right? Oh sure, I hope so. <laughs> Gosh, it hasn't been chewed up in years and years. So you're 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 a patron of the arts, though. Um, yeah. What what got you into art? Uh, it was really my grandmother. Um, my grandmother, my mom's mom, she was always painting. Um, and it's funny, like, I have all these memories of her dragging us to, like, museums or doing this and that when I was a kid, and I just wanted to stay home and watch TV. But I really grew up to love it. And when I was in high school, she was single and um, going to these art classes at this retirement home. She must have been in her 70s at that point. And she's like, oh, this guy wants to date me, and I don't want him to date And I'm like, are you talking about your art instructor? And she's like like yeah and I'm like okay and then you know they start going to dinner and then like I swear it must have been a couple weeks later they literally called us on the road to Vegas they were (laughs) eloping and I'm like I remember we were just laughing at home, like, are you serious? And they're like, yeah, why not? We love each other. Um, and they hold up in this little trailer up near Shingle Springs where my aunt lives in the foothills and just paint it. Like, literally, like, every wall in that place was covered in some kind of painting. And so now my apartment, you know, she passed a few years ago and her husband a couple years before that. They were incredible people. And I just have art all over my apartment that's made by people I know, you know, and love. So that's I, awesome. I got to get yeah. you one of my works. Yeah, um, you do. You do. I yeah, because I've got all sorts of, like, I've got friends who make prints in Oakland. I've got my grandma stuff, her husband's stuff. Yeah, I love it. I love it. No, I mean, I'm grateful for I'm grateful for you having those experiences because, like I said, I've I've seen you in the artistic community here in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. You're a big patron of the arts. Um, and speaking of art, so we want to get uh, we want to get we want to get some some artwork done. Mm-hmm. We want actually. Well, let me rephrase. Katie Valenzuela, I've been looking for a long time for like a little intro. For my show. Mm. And I was thinking, maybe you could break out that saxophone. <laughs> you laughing. Hang on. Okay, pitch okay, first. okay. Pitch okay. First. I got you. I got you. All right, you break out the saxophone, <laughs> right? Like, play a little jig. Then we get, like, 
like uh, uh, you got Skyler on your team. You mm-hmm. Get Skyler to lay down some vocals because mm-hmm. he definitely like is like rock star. We get Skyler lay down some vocals. He's got the guitar and stuff. Yeah, too. but the, yeah. I'm telling you, and we do like the verbal radio intro. All right. I mean, I'd have to get that saxophone tuned up to see if I <laughs> see still even works. But Wait, you, you, you tune a saxophone? Yeah. You know, it's oh, like they man. got like little pads to hold the air and you know all sorts of stuff. So you gotta gotta get it souped up. But I had no idea. We'll you know, talk about it. It's I, um, been a while. <laughs> I, I I play the piano, and by play, I, I mean I play with two fingers, <laughs> and you know it sounds good sometimes. Yeah. Um. Wow. I didn't know that you. You know, my brother's like a world famous trumpet player, and um. I had no idea. You had yeah, yeah. Well, for like for the saxophones, it's like yeah, it's the pads and all the stuff they wear down over time, and then it doesn't make the sound you want it to make. Were you ever in a band or orchestra? Yeah, it's, it's all through school. Yeah, junior high, high school. Um, you know, jazz band, wind ensemble, marching band. I was one of those kids. I played sports too, and I was an academic, and I was in band. I was oh, one of those oh man, so multifaceted many, kids in high school. So many questions I got now. Yeah. All right, let me let me just try to narrow it down to like my top two. Okay. All right. Um, I definitely want to know what sports you played. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were any good at them. <laughs> and then and then, I'm such an aficionado of jazz. Um. And as a jazz player, surely you listen to jazz music. Mm-hmm. Who are your favorites? Oh, it's been a minute since I've listened to music recreationally. <laughs> Usually it's like background <laughs> music in my life. But I like the old school, you know. I like the Dizzy Gillespie type, you know, just the the classics, you know. Like, I, I don't like the newer kind of, my uncle's really into that more electronic, like, Kenny you know. G. Yeah, and I'm like, I, it's always in the background when you're at his house, and I'm like, this is not. That's elevator music He always says this is jazz music. I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's music. <laughs> yeah, opinion. I'm like, no, I like the kind of funky, but, you know, you got to be in, you can't really, I don't work well when I listen to that. Like, I kind of need to have that on while I'm just kind of, like, doing whatever. So it's been a while since I've listened to, to any of the, the classics. But, yeah, I love it. Anything with good trumpet, good alto sax in particular. I mean, tenor sax is usually what's featured in most jazz. So when I hear an alto sax, I'm like, I know that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> That's my sound. That's me, yeah. <laughs> and what was your first question? Sports. I oh, what sports, sports yeah. Play? I um, I played softball for a long time. When I was in second grade, I was the quarterback of a football team, which um, didn't stick. <laughs> but I was the girl quarterback of a football team, and I loved it. Um, but I played softball for a long time, and then I played golf in high school because I had started playing with my dad and my mom. They were kind of puttering around learning how, so I went out there with those little kid clubs and was okay because I played softball, right? I so still it's a very similar. The, I still play with the kids. <laughs> like, like that's the that's the best thing about uh, uh, Scandia is that yeah. golf course and like I tell you right now the golf course defeats me every time. Oh no, it's it's so much fun though, but I I love it and I still play and I'm and I'm decent. I could have been better. My coaches used to always get mad like we if, you get would a just, golf game if you would just practice that you'd be better. Yeah, I would love it. But then when I was in my sophomore year of high school, I realized that if I took a sport in between golf and softball, I would miss the physical conditioning for all of them, mm. right? And so I had the scheme where I'm like, or I'm going to get around the like two three mile runs. So I joined soccer. And that's when I realized that girls with asthma in the valley should not play soccer because, <laughs> like, I they put me in midfield and I was like dying, but they kept promoting me because I would work really hard. And they're like, We want to reward you for working hard. <laughs> so I ended up on the varsity soccer team, and I'm like, I did not know what the heck I was doing. I'm like, This is this is not a, pro- a good thing that you did for me here by promoting me to the soccer team. But eventually I gave that up because I'm like, no, this isn't worth it. I'm just going to do the physical training for softball. Forget it. All right. So wait, let's, let's just back up one second because there's this one gym that you that you mentioned and kind of glossed over. And, and, and everybody pay attention to this part because <laughs> I just want y'all to have the visual. Katie Valenzuela, starting quarterback. For the football team. <laughs> so so all right now let me let me tell you how i imagine this mm. i imagine a shorter katie mm-hmm. right who who's got who's younger and got you know all of those hormones she's got something to prove and she's got a cannon arm like she's like she's like she's like brett Favre in the pocket like just launches it up the field <laughs> now i was in second grade verbal so it was <laughs> it was more like you know those little kids soccer games where they all just run in circles <laughs> And the coaches are on the sideline being like, go that way. Yeah. <laughs> Where the ball's kind of just yeah. wobbling through the air. I just like throw it to the other <laughs> team just because, no, it was not competitive. <laughs> we were just out there having fun. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's the best ever. Yes. Hey, um, you know, my experience when I was a kid, so I, uh, I was a gymnast, believe it or not. Oh, God. 
Okay, so let me tell you about the first time I ever felt shame and embarrassment. Mm. So I was a gymnast um, around the second grade. I I was pretty good, you know. I obviously was a lot slimmer um, and very bendy. And so, you know, I could do, like, the handstands and I would jump the horse. And so one day we have, like, the end of program recital or whatever. So everybody's family's there and, you know, you do your basic stuff. And then the last thing you do is you walk the balance beam and dismount. Simple, right? It's verbal we're talking about. So <laughs> I do all my stuff. I get on the balance beam. Never done a balance beam before, but it, you know, it's just one foot in front of the other one. It's pretty straightforward. So I get to the end, and rather than just jumping down, I'm like, oh, I get this idea in my head. And I say, oh, I'm going to do a front flip off the, oh, off no. the balance beam. Never did a flip before either. Um <laughs> <laughs> but you saw it on TV or something, right? <laughs> I don't even, I think maybe Ninja Turtles. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm just going to, like, like in my mind, you know, I'm going to go on the air, do a complete turn and land on my feet, hands up, you know, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> so I um, jump in the air and end up starfishing in midair and just face planted into the ground. <laughs> and uh, everyone there laughed. That was the first time I got the whole crowd to laugh, by the way. You know, it was the beginning of my stand-up career. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then then after that, I, I ran track for a while. was not good at that at all. Um, at all. Yeah. Not, not even a little bit. I don't even know why they let me on the team, honestly. Um, and then I played soccer. Hmm. Now, I don't know if I was good in soccer. But what I do know is every game I didn't play, we lost. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> you know you what were I mean? the team winner. Yeah. Oh. No. I mean, that's what sports as kids are supposed to be about. You know, I was so happy that my parents were just like, let me try stuff. You know, like, I don't know what made my mom be like, yeah, sure. Go out for the football team. I'll like do this. But, you know, I tried gymnastics, too. And I remember after a few weeks, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stay here and watch Scooby-Doo. Like, I was really into the old <laughs> Scooby-Doos. And my mom was like, OK. And like that was it. I just stopped going. But that's what you're supposed to do as a kid is. That's why I love, like, the stuff you were talking about with Del Paso, the stuff we're doing at Leotada Floyd Elementary. It's like, that's what it should be as a kid. You should be able to be like, hey, that looks cool. I'm going to try that, you know, and see what happens. And by giving them an opportunity to have a diversity of experiences, yeah. we help them discover who they are. Exactly. And if they know who they are and they know what they love, they can stay on that path and it will take them to greatness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love that. we just providing them the opportunities. To to face plant in front of crowds yeah. of people, or, or to and learn that they are not supposed to be a gymnast. So maybe right. they miss their calling as a comic. Yeah, and and you know, um, and now you're leading the city on the city council. The former the former second grade starting quarterback, <laughs> soccer player, saxophonist, mm-hmm. uh, and you know you got you're a very well rounded individual, uh, Katie. I tell you right now, I appreciate uh, that. We I got to get you back on the show. Uh, this has been such a great uh, experience. Maybe uh, I'll get you on the podcast where we yeah. can really talk. Um, so that's our time for today, uh, Councilmember Valenzuela. Thank you so much for coming in um, for this interview. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the laughs. Because <laughs> I tell you right now, this Wednesday morning feels like a Monday morning. Um, so it thank does. you so much for this experience, and I will be seeing you out there throughout Sacramento, and let us continue to make a positive impact on our community and, and those in our community. Thank you so much. This has been Verbal Radio on KUBU 96.5 FM and also on Spotify.